Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Download all the past bits and best interviews with new things added each week at JiggyJaguar.com. Hey, this is Dutch. You're listening to the Jiggy Jaguar, so strip up those clothes, grab that bowl of jello, and let's get busy. JiggyJaguar.com. We're back here on the Jiggy Jaguar you Show, speaking with Wayne D'Amelia from, uh, well, you're, you're all over the place. Uh, Global Fighting is the, is the big one coming up very soon. Uh, Want to give us some information on the event? Sure. It's uh, going to be on Friday, August 17th, up at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Uncasville, Connecticut. And what most people don't realize is uh, Mohegan Sun is the second largest casino in the United States, bigger in gambling space than uh, all the big casinos in Vegas. And what our goal is, is to bring top-notch MMA fights to the Northeast area. The IFL has been up in uh, Mohegan Sun, but that's the whole team concept, a little bit different. And everybody knows who the managers are in the IFL. But the fighters themselves are pretty much, you know, up-and-comers, new guys. Yeah. Some of them are very, very good fighters, but nobody knows who the names are. And even when uh, I've gone up there, I've, you know, in fans just talking idly, you know, they said to me, you know, this is good, but boy, I... I wish we'd get some top-notch <laughs> MMA up yeah. here because, you know, otherwise you got to go to either Vegas or you got to go to California. And that's what partially what lit the spark. I mean, there was, other, there was ideas in it because I was watching the industry and watching the sport. But that really ignited my interest to, to get involved in this because, yeah. you know, uh, Mohegan Sun is just almost equidistant between New York and Boston. And you figure... With the New York area, you know, New York, New Jersey, Long Island, straight on through to Boston, Providence, and everything there, there's probably about 35 to 40 million people. Yeah. It's a very populated area, probably the most populated area in the United States. And so I feel the fan base is there. And, like, uh, you know, it's two hours or less drive. It's a nice facility. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, this, this is the one thing you hear all the time, people, uh, the boxing shows or, or various other shows are like, Mohegan Sun, Mohegan Sun, and they're just, everybody's doing something in Mohegan Sun. And yeah, I never hear anything about mixed martial arts going there. And I would think that just from the layout, from some of the pay-per-view boxing cards I've seen, it looks great. And I think it would look better, even better, with uh, an octagon or a ring or something, you know, doing MMA up there. Well, I mean, you know, um, you know I've done many bodybuilding events in Vegas. Yeah. And we did the Olympia at Mandalay Bay quite a few years, and the arena there is 12,000 seats, and the arena in Mohegan Sun is 10,500, 10,600 when you count in the skyboxes and this and that. So it's very close in capacity. I mean, people don't realize how large that arena is in Mohegan Sun. And what's happened up there is they've got, you know, the hotel has about 12, 1,300 rooms, but it's not enough, and they're building now another tower wow. to double their room capacity because they need it. Yeah. They need they need more hotel room space, and I was just up there yesterday afternoon, a weekday afternoon for a meeting, and you know the place on a summer afternoon was packed. There it was one o'clock in the afternoon, and the place was packed with people. And uh, 
they have all top name acts going in there. I mean, for example, they uh, just had Kanye West and uh, Beyonce's playing in there, I think, August 1st, and Justin Timberlake, the 11th, the WWE is in there. So, you know, they have top-of-the-line activities going on constantly. Oh, yeah. You know, so um, it's a coup for us that on our first event we're able to get into a facility like that. You know, and what we've done is with the card, we've we've got four feature fights, and we've got the undercard fights, which is the local fighters. And there's lots of local fighters that you know would go to different events in Mohegan Sun and dream about you know participating oh, in an yeah. athletic event there. In fact, I've got one guy on the card who used to work at Mohegan Sun, and I've got another guy on the card. Who does work at Mohegan Sun? He works <laughs> in the beverage department <laughs> by day, and now he's going to be fighting there at night. And, um, you know, for him, he's watched all these things, and he's all excited that he's going to be in the arena oh, yeah. fighting in the ring. And, you know, there's a, you know, mixed martial arts is very, very big oh, in the Connecticut, it's, Massachusetts it's, area. It's getting, it's getting just phenomenal. We've, uh, on, on this program alone, we've done some interviews with uh, the professional wrestlers and the MMA guys. We concentrate a lot on the bodybuilding world, which was one reason why I was real glad we were able to get something going with you because you're just a legend in the, the bodybuilding community. But uh, why do you think that bodybuilding and um, this mixed martial arts thing seems to be gaining some ground and more steam? Well, mixed martial arts is gaining steam. Unfortunately, bodybuilding is... You know, uh, kind of stagnant right now. It's going downhill. Yeah. Well, you know, you look at your demographics. You go to a pro bodybuilding show, the majority of the fan base is over the age of 40. Yeah. And all the young guys are into MMA. Yeah. I mean, my son's a prime example. I mean, when I was 15 years old, I couldn't wait for the bodybuilding book to come out, read about oh, this yeah. and that, and go train. My son... You know, he's getting to all the MMA magazines, you know. Exactly. And there's no real MMA magazine. you got to get, you know, you, you read Fight Magazine, you read Grappler, you read Black yeah. Belt, you read this, you read that. I mean, and he's on the websites and buying a DVD every other week and so <laughs> on and so forth. Yeah. watching the pay-per-views and he trains at a gym now, him and his friends. You know, they train with weights, but they train with weights, you know, not to become built, but to gain strength for the movements they have to do yeah. in their MMA training. And, you know, they don't want to look like a bodybuilder because the other thing that's happened with bodybuilding is, and it's one of the reasons why I left the IFBB and have started a different organization, yeah. is, you know, whoever is Mr. Olympia or the top bodybuilders in the world should be the physique that everybody wants to aspire to be. That's right. When you go back and look at pumping iron, which is 30-odd years ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, people wanted to look like Arnold. Oh yeah. People wanted to look, you know, like you know Frank Zane and Frank all these other example. I see yeah. and I talk to all sorts of. I, we talk to a lot of the amateur bodybuilders and the guys that are just coming up in the sport, and they're like, you know, Frank Zane, Frank Zane, and they're all big idol. It's Frank Zane or Arnold, and you don't hardly have anybody. If you bring up Ronnie or Jay, they're like, yeah, 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 that's fine. I, I, I don't mind, but they know they're never going to be able to get to that point. Not only never be able to get to that point, they don't want to look like that. You know, the judging criteria in bodybuilding has forced the athletes to make physiques yeah. that are not marketable. And by
by it not being marketable, but people aren't going to go because they're not looking at the overall physique. Yeah. They're looking at parts. Well, Ronnie's got the biggest arms, the biggest legs, the widest back, so Ronnie wins. But, you know, Ronnie's symmetry is not good. There's no beauty to Ronnie's physique. Yeah. The thing is, Ronnie's always only doing what the judges are dictating. That's I'm true. sure the judges dictate because Ronnie did have a very small waist at one time. Yeah. But at five foot ten and a half and going on stage somewhere between 290 and 295, that's ridiculous. And even <laughs> Jay now. I mean, for Jay to beat him, you know, Jay, as they say, stepped it up a little bit. Yeah. And came in at, I don't know, 280, whatever. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, There's a lot on of people that criteria. That happened. Yeah. But on that criteria that those judges base their decisions on. Yeah. He wins, but can you market that physique? No, I mean, did, has Jay Cutler gotten anywhere outside of the bodybuilding world in endorsements or in appearances no. or anything? No, you can't market that. There's no way you can market it. And I know he's gone to some PR people in this, and they just can't do it because in the off season he's walking around at over 300 pounds. Yeah, it's amazing to see. But it is not marketable. Nobody wants to look like that. Well, see, Ronnie, I noticed, was starting to get some of that. He was starting to get some of the outside marketability. And then, for some reason, it, it just vanished. Uh, he was I getting a little bit here and there. Yeah, yeah. I started seeing him here and there doing things. And then all of a sudden... But not all of it was complimentary. Like when he made well, an appearance it. on the Tonight Show. Yeah. It, that was... Not good for the sport. No. They made him look like a fool. And I mean, you know, it's not like he's presented as a world-class athlete. It's not that he's presented as, you know, this is the best-built man in the world. This is the best physique. This is what we go to the gym to strive for. This is the picture on the wall. And even though I can never be that, you want to strive. Oh, yeah. To yeah you that. want to be able to get in there and, and, yeah. and look like Ronnie or Jay. And, and nobody wants to look yeah. like that. The thing no, is, no. You know, <laughs> no, but nobody wants the whole to do thing. that. I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, you know, there's a large gay community in the New York area. Yeah. And when I was promoting Night of Champions under this new organization last year, yeah. I went to all the gay publications and said, you know, can we do some kind of barter deals, this, that, and the other thing. And everybody was open to work with me. But they said to me, they go, Wayne, you know, you know, a lot of guys said to me, you know, I used to go to Night of Champions to buy tickets before I got this position, la, la, la. He said, but you know what? They go, the physique then were attractive to a gay man. Yeah. He says, the physiques, he says, Ronnie and Jay is not attractive no. to a gay man. Well, well and I noticed you know, that that's started to, to be the way in the female world, too. Oh, well, female bodybuilding is dead. I mean, yeah. Get that. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I used to have 10, 15 years ago, yeah. women coming to the shows because the guys had symmetrical yeah. physiques. There was a sex appeal to it. They were nice looking because there weren't large amounts of growth hormone or whatever else taken. It wasn't a bloated look. Their faces were nice and tight and this and that. When you had a young Milos and Barry DeMay oh, yeah. and Lee Labrada and Francis Benfati, you had a lot of good looking guys, cover, cover boys. Now, everybody looks like they're pumped up with an air pump, like they're ready <laughs> to explode. There's no hardness to the muscles. When they flex, nothing really happens. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, I was lucky enough to see Arnold 
you know, in his prime in the mid-70s compete. Yeah. And the thing that was impressive about Arnold, and you still see it in the pumping iron film, you go back to it, when he posed and flexed, boom, things happened. Muscles popped. Same thing oh, yeah. Zane. I mean, Zane, <laughs> I always tell the story. 1974, I'm going to Mr. Olympia. i got a girl with me, and we're walking on the street. She's, she's never been to one of these things. I'm yeah. Saying, oh, yeah, I work out like this guy. And then who's walking right in front of us in a sweatsuit? We're walking on either 8th Avenue or Broadway because it was held at the old Felt Forum in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and yeah. It's Frank Zane. Okay. Wow. And I go, there's Frank Zane. He's one of the top contenders for Mr. Olympia. I said, look, I'm bigger than him. Right? So Frank going to warm up to look like nothing. And she's looked at girls, look at me, and she's like impressed. And then we get there, and Frank Zane comes out on stage and poses, and she goes, you look like that without your, without a shirt on? And I look at Frank Zane, and I go, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, I, I, you know, I didn't know Frank at that time. But yeah. I, I, years go by, I got to know Frank well. And I said to Frank, I said, Frank, you know, I told him that yeah, story. Frank, yeah, I a guy. I, and he goes, I said, what'd you weigh then? He said, oh, about 183, 184. Jesus. But yet, the illusion he created on stage because his waist was tight. That, that's muscles the... were hard. Yeah. And he made it look like when his clothes came off, it was like 20 pounds more went on there because everything pivots off your waist. And then when he flexed, muscles were popping from everywhere, and he had tremendous muscle control. I mean, who does a vacuum? like Frank Zane used to do. Yeah, nobody. I mean, when Frank Zane did that vacuum that night, brought the house down, and because he sucked the stomach up into his rib cage and the lats flared out because his hands were behind his neck and his biceps looked like baseballs hitting his ears. I mean, he was like in an impressive pose for him like a most muscular would be for Arnold. Yeah. Brought the house down. And the thing is, what happens now is when you go to a bodybuilding show now, because the guy's muscles are so swollen from this chemical and that chemical, yeah. whatever, that all they're doing is changing position oh, yeah. of their arms or legs. Yeah. No, even when they're flexing, nothing changes because everything is just hanging out. There's, so there's no excitement to it. We, when you see them when they walk out, that's their physique and nothing happens. There's no popping, no excitement. They can't do anything with it. And again, it's not attractive. And you even look at magazine covers. I mean, I got from when I was a kid, going all the way back, you know, with the old muscular development when there was Hoffman running it and John Grimmick was the yeah. editor. I used to think that, you know, wow, look at this. You lift weights to become a bodybuilder. You become a good-looking guy. Look, every guy is a good-looking guy on the cover. All the cover guys were good-looking guys. Yeah. All the cover guys, good-looking, symmetrical bills and girls all over them. Okay? Yeah. And now, when you go to a newsstand and I look at the magazine covers, you know, you look at, you know, like women's magazines. There's one celebrity after another. You know, everybody's good looking. Every, you know, the cover attract. And then you look at the bodybuilding cover. And there's some guy grimacing with veins and this and that popping all over. It's not attractive. And even guys in the sport have to look at it and admit. And you know, why has circulation at a magazines gone down? They've declined tremendously. You know, nobody will admit it, but they've gone down. And attendance at bodybuilding shows has gone down. And the largest um, category in the amateurs on the male side is now the masters. Yeah. Because it's all the guys in the 80s when with bodybuilding's heyday and Arnold and Stallone <laughs> were the biggest movie stars in the world. And it was before Ben Johnson got caught on drugs because that, you know, before Ben Johnson, 
Yeah. Steroids was the secret of the gym. Exactly. And then when Ben Johnson got caught and it was headlines worldwide, everybody learned about Winstrel. And then it went from there. Oh, yeah. But all the guys from the 80s, here it is, 20-something years later, their children are grown. They probably started going back to the gym because for health reasons, you know, a little pudgy, little this, little yeah. that. And then they see a master's competition, and they go, you know, maybe I'm going to compete. You know, I used to compete, and they're going to show their son or their daughter or whatever, you know, daddy used to do this. The children are probably teenagers. And that's the largest growing category now, the masters. But teenage competitions hardly exist anymore. Yeah. And teenagers back in the early, mid-80s were your largest category, and that was your future. And if you don't have teenagers, you don't have a future. Yeah. And unfortunately, the bodybuilding industry on that end is not doing anything about it. They're like, well, we're making our money from the masters now. We're making our money from figure. What is figure? You know, they do these figure competitions. They do the skinny girls that they got on steroids, too. <laughs> you know? I mean, they, they can't sell it. Where, where are these girls being marketed? They don't even use these girls in their own magazines. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. They're, 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 they're talking about <clears throat> the figure competitions, and then they're talking about uh, the fitness thing. Everybody, all these fitness uh, chicks. Fitness is dying too because what fitness turned into is gymnastic exactly. rejects. Yeah. Girls who little girls wanted to get in the Olympics of the gymnast, they couldn't do it. So now they go into fitness. But what happens is when they're past twenty five and they start to do all those jumps, their joints can't take it. Yeah. Because they're too heavy and they're trying to do these jumps and they're a little older and they're having wrist and ankle and knee problems. You know, and even the fitness competitions have gone down. And what you have is these large, large figure competitions, you know, tremendous amount of competitors. And eventually the girls are going to find out that there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Oh, yeah. See, that's, 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 that's the big thing that I've been trying to figure out is that there's a lot of these fitness competitors they want to get in there and they want to do um, the the fitness things, and then they they transition into something else. They transition into um, the uh, the WWE is a good example. Trish Stratus, great turnaround. Um, she was in you know fitness for years and doing female bodybuilding, and then all of a sudden she got into WWE. Well, no way they got her from they you know um, ironically. When the WWE was going to get involved with the women in the yeah. mid-90s, they contacted a guy that was working for them at that time, with a guy by the name of Rick Bassman. Now, Rick yeah. Bassman, I knew Rick Bassman because when we did the Olympia in Orlando, he was working for Disney back in 1991. Yeah, he's still doing Universal Pro Wrestling down there. Or? Well, Rick Bassman is Butterbean's manager. Oh, oh I got Butterbean, <laughs> you know. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm working with Rick again. Yeah. Rick had called me up about the fitness girls, 95, 96. Would they be interested in doing things with the WWE? And when I contacted somebody, they go, no, they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to be involved with wrestling, this and that. So what happened is Rick contacted Bob Kennedy at Muscle Mag, and that's where Tori Wilson and Trish Stratus, exactly. they were his, you know, uh, fitness girls that were in the magazines a lot, and they... You know, they were, he was always photographing them doing this and that, and he'd always have them at his booth. 
Janae got signed, and you know Trish Stratus recently retired. Yeah, she's she, doing it just about ten years, but she probably made a whole load of money. And Tori Wilson is still doing it. And you know the the fitness girls in the IFBB lost their chance. Yeah, but you know in getting it back to mixed martial arts, what's happening is you know the MMA yeah, that's, guys. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. With, with yeah. we were talking earlier about the physiques and. Uh, you were mentioning how, so how, your, how your son does lifting, but he doesn't do it to look like, you know, Flex Wheeler or Frank Zane or somebody. And no, what he does is you got these got guys now it. like Butterbean getting into it. Well, <laughs> you, you, you look at a Chuck Liddell. Chuck yeah. Liddell is six foot two, but weighs two oh five. Yeah. You know, so he's he's basically three and a half inches taller than Ronnie, and when he's competing, he's about ninety pounds less than Ronnie. Yeah. Because he has to be fast, he has to have speed, he has to have power, he's got to be able to move, he has to have endurance. And what you're having is, you have many more females, say at these UFC events, yeah. than you have at a bodybuilding show, because the women are finding the MMA guy's physiques much more sexy yeah. than a bodybuilder's physique, because, you know, it's... It's just a better look. You're not, you know, you don't have a big stomach. You don't have, you know, you're just not oversized. You're not this, you're not that. And, you know, the whole thing with fighting, you know, that you're a tough guy, too. Yeah. You know, so it's the image with it. And that's why, I mean, all the boys are into it. I mean, this is why pro wrestling, I don't think the WWE likes the UFC that much because WWE would have a guy from when he's like eight, nine years old, he would have him as a fan straight on through into his middle 20s as a hardcore fan. I mean, you used to see guys in college, you know, would always, you know, wrestling night. They'd have to watch wrestling together yep. and this and that, and they knew it. Yeah, but the, the, I remember back in the day when uh, WCW was around, and they had yeah. these nitro parties, and yeah. people would get together, and they'd, you know, have beer, popcorn, pizzas, whatever, and they'd watch, sit around and watch wrestling. And now and the now big thing what's is, happening is they're going they're to Hooters. Switching. They're going to the sports bars for UFC. Yep. Because I see with my son. My son watches wrestling, but, you know, not as much. And through me, you know, he's gotten to meet everyone. I mean, he's got pictures yeah. on the wall with The Rock and yeah. the Big Show and Vince McMahon himself and all the different guys. But now it's like, you know, Chuck Liddell is his man. Every oh, TV yeah. he's got Chuck Liddell in it. He's got there, you know. Chuck Liddell this, Chuck Liddell that. We gotta buy this with Chuck, that with Chuck. Yeah. When am I going? When am I going to meet Chuck? He's going. To be like, okay, Daddy's got to do this, so you can get your picture with Chuck and put it on the wall. You know? Exactly. And it's like the wrestling is going down and going down. He'll watch it a little bit, but where before he would have to watch every single pay per view. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even that hot to watch WrestleMania this year. Oh, WrestleMania this year. Well, I I had a big. Uh, last couple of years, I've been doing a big WrestleMania party with a bunch of my buds, and uh, this year, I I think every match everybody trashed it. And I don't yep. think there was one match that we all sat there and went, "That's kick ass." You know, that was some great talent. That was some great athleticism. It was just like, okay, what's the next thing coming up? And I never yeah, hear anybody and- say that about UFC. It's always, you know, every once in a while they'll get into some of these uh, the the grappling matches where the the two jujitsu guys or whatever. And they, you know, hug and hold for 15 minutes. But they're kind of cracking down on that because a lot of the, um, well, Dana White and the UFC, they don't want to, they don't want people booing it. So 
So they're giving guys like John McCarthy and the, the referees a chance to go in there and break it up. We had we recently had uh, Big John McCarthy on the radio program here, and he said that Dana and the athletic commissions have given them permission to, if you see something, somebody's falling, or you see something that you know doesn't look appealing, or you're getting bored, stand them up. Well, let's face it. All of pro sports is entertainment. Yeah. And unless you're a real expert in jiu-jitsu and you can see with the guys trying to maneuver and the moves, and this, it's boring when they're on yeah. the ground too much. And when they bring them up and they're kicking and they're charging and they're this and they're that, that's what the excitement is. The excitement of UFC, or mixed martial arts, however you want to do it, I yeah. mean, UFC has almost become, UFC yeah, yeah, like yeah, almost that, becoming like what, that, that, Scotch Tape. Scotch Tape is a brand name, but we all yeah. call Scotch Tape, even though it's cellophane. Yeah. Tape. Yeah. yeah, that's that's yeah. that's the thing that that I'm glad that there's uh, that you're putting out global fighting and there's some others that are doing some other events um, where they're trying to distinguish from UFC because I hear so many people that are like yeah that Ultimate Fighting but they're referring to you know uh, the Frank Shamrock fight or yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Well, that's that's you know. Um, is that is that just good marketing? Is is that just doing a good good marketing? They've been around. Longer, you know, Strike Force with Shamrock yeah. has been around as long as the UFC. UFC's been around since the mid '90s. Really, was the first one. Yeah. You know, and even though, it, and people, when you look at the records, when you look at the history, in the mid late '90s, they were doing pay per view buys of a hundred thousand, a hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. The, their second, I I was reading some stats somewhere one time that uh, UFC two competed around. Uh, with WrestleMania that year, and I think it was uh, WrestleMania. It was it was the one with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, the big one, where they had the yeah. long Iron Man match. Okay, that did humongous amount of buys, but UFC two, the sixteen man tournament with Hoist in it, did outrageous amount of buys. Yeah, they were getting. So, I mean, you know, they, they were always getting buys. They've yeah. always been the market for it. The problem is is because there wasn't good rules that the athletic commissions were banning it when the politicians started bad-mouthing it. Exactly. And then what happened is when Dana White got the Furtado brothers to come in, mm-hmm. then they got together with the Nevada State Athletic Commission and worked with the commission to set up rules that the commission would accept and then started building from there. Yeah. And now they've got it, you know, where there's certain things that aren't allowed. It's, you know, like I said, you know, MMA is sort of like, you know, I've said this in other interviews. It's like legalized barroom brawling. Yeah. And that's why people like it. Because when two guys are fighting in a bar, it's, you, you go at it. You know, you're not, there's no strategy. No. There, you know, there's no time. You're trying to win as fast as you can. <laughs> that's what goes on here because it's three rounds. And they make the rounds five minutes, so you've got a little bit more time. But you're going out there to take the guy out as quick as possible. We're boxing. I mean, when De La Hoya Mayweather, all that type, <laughs> two million times, set all the records, this and that. And, but not deep down inside, we all knew what was going to happen. The only way Mayweather could win is he's going to stick and move and stick and move and box around. And De La Hoya is going to stalk him and stalk him and stalk him. And is he going to be able to catch him in a corner? And they have, but there's never going to be great exchanges and knockdowns and this guy getting up. What's going to happen? And after 12 rounds, you know, it could have been a draw, you know, a little bit of controversial decision. But when it all ended, it was not that exciting. No. And when you sat there afterwards and say, I just spent $55 or whatever the heck your cable company charged you. Jesus, it's outrageous anymore. And, yeah, and, and then you say, 
this is kind of like what I thought was going to happen, but they conned me into it with that, you know, De La Hoya Mayweather 24-7, you know. They conned They were on all the shows. They were everywhere. Yeah, they advertised and they marketed it great in De La Hoya's. You know, all the women like Oscar. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he, they, you know, they, he still gets the girls tuning in for him. And Mayweather was shooting his mouth off. He was the bad guy in the yeah, whole he was, thing. He and you're getting a lot of the I'm going to run. I'm going to go fight. I'm going to do this. And all, they got us to believe him. And we all plunked down our money. And they took in the big bucks. But you know what? When it was all said and done, it wasn't there. And then you get into, you know, you know Chocolate Dell and Rampage, right? Oh, yeah. And you're saying, you know, it's going to be a good fight, and everybody's psyched, and even though people, everybody was picking Liddell, it was a rock'em, sock'em affair with a, you know, with an unexpected ending, for unexpected for a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, but it was action. You know, all these fights oh, yeah. and action. And even, like, Randy Couture, when he won back the title from Sylvia, I mean, it was five rounds of action because you, you were, how can Randy do this? He's 42 yeah. years old. You know, the other guy's going to catch him. So we was freaking giant, you know. How, yeah. how is Randy going to maneuver around him for five more minutes and then five more minutes and then five more minutes? There was excitement there, you know. And that's what, you know, MMA has. Well, and the, and the thing that um, I like about global fighting that you guys are doing and some of these other events is that UFC, you know, it's a great organization. they got a lot of good stars, but I've noticed that recently they're doing more marketing with this reality show. They're taking a lot of the guys that are from the reality show, and they're putting them out there, and they're they're showing and selling them as, you know, they're the next big talent, which they are. They're, they're, the, they're the future of the company, but there's a lot of people that they don't want to see a whole card with, you know, one big marquee matchup, and then the, all seven or eight other fights are... You know, nobody's essentially. And then if they deem, if Dana White and the boys deem a certain person as unmarketable, they don't get in the UFC. Good example of this is just recently uh, Kimbo Slice, the big underground street fight guy on the Internet, right. had a fight with Ray Mercer out in uh, New Jersey. Yep. And it did tons of business on pay-per-view, did tons of business live gate. Just, it was great stuff. And... People paid to see that. Well, UFC and them deem that as, oh, it's a freak show. And that's like with global fighting. You guys have got marquee name people. And the UFC would deem these guys as nobodies. You go down the list, they would go, oh, better be. He's just some tough man guy. Sean O'Hare, oh, he's just an ex-WWE guard. And, that, and that's, that's the reason why. See, they don't want the super heavyweights. If you notice, they let that's, all the super yeah. heavyweights go. And to me... Like Butterbean. Now, Butterbean was supposed to fight Stefan Gamblin, and I'm going to give you a little scoop here. Stefan yeah. hurt his knee the other day training, and we, we now have replaced him with a better fighter. Butterbean's got a little tougher match against. He's up against Ruben uh, Villarreal. Oh, the guy that fought uh, Boss Rutten. Yeah. Out there yeah. in uh, yeah. he's a, WFA. He's a tough, yeah, he's a tough, tough guy. Oh, yeah. Now, but he's but, you no know, little man either. Six, no. Or 280. You know, Butterbean. I didn't, you know, I don't or Butterbean fight on TV like everyone else, but I always <laughs> thought he was lot bigger, taller. Yeah. He's 5'11". I mean, I'm six foot. I'm taller than Butterbean. He's, he's more than twice my weight. I'm 180. He's 400. <laughs> you, know, you know? But, I mean, the thing is, what am I doing for the fans? I'm bringing in fights to entertain. That's yeah. the key word, entertain. When I go to an event, a sporting event, 
I want to be entertained when I go to a Broadway play. I want to be entertained when I want to go to a music concert. I want to be entertained. I want to be entertained in that realm. And if I'm coming to see fights, I want to be entertained. I want to see fights. I know this, that war paint and butterbean is not going to go three rounds to a decision. No. That I, I'll bet anything on that. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt it if we'll go the full five-minute first round. Yeah. But know what? For however long it goes, it will be rock'em, sock'em action. Yeah. And when you think about <laughs> it, how time. long did Liddell Rampage Jackson go? How long did Liddell and Couture go to second and third? Yeah. Fight? And it both went into the second round. I mean, we're not talking about you know, ten-round decisions. We're talking about well, some round those old two-round fights. Some of those old UFCs we were talking about a second ago. Yeah. How, how long did that? Uh, some of those big explosive fights go. You know, the old Tank Abbott balls, you know, these guys didn't go. They, they didn't. They didn't do a Delahoya Mayweather. They weren't. <laughs> they no, just so that's why. Just what's so our, our theory is we, we are putting you know, four to six fights on the undercard of the local fighters to give them exposure. That, you know, a lot of them dreamed about fighting in Mohegan Sun. These guys yeah. are so happy to fight now. Like I said, I got a guy that works in Mohegan Sun that's fighting there. You know. So they're, they're all happy about that. And then we've got four feature matches. Well, and now. you've got a couple guys on there that uh, we, we got USC some legit had. Jeff Munson. Jeff Munson is a good. This, this guy's got a very weak. Yeah, I mean, 5'9", 260. <laughs> yeah. He's a powerful man. Now, he was supposed to fight West Sims. And a lot of people tried to put this Sims-Munson fight together yeah. because they looked at it as, Munson lost to Sylvia, and Sylvia's a tall fellow. Yeah. Sims is 6'10", and they figured, well, maybe it would create the same problems for Sims. Munson's a ground guy. Sims could stand up and fight, and isn't that yeah. the interesting thing? For some reason, I think that fight is doomed because even us now, Sims <laughs> hurt himself and this and that. It isn't coming about. So we put into the fight the guy that beat Sims twice within the past three months, this guy Chris Goyan. And people are saying to us, well, Chris Goyan. I said, well, if you agreed with Sims, this guy beat Sims in May by a decision and beat him by a knockout in July. Yeah. So, I mean, this guy deserves the shot. How can I say? The guy said to me, you know, after he beat him in May, you know, and I said, well, you know, we got Sims on the advertising. And then when he knocked him out, he said, I'm going, I said, I'm going to challenge him to fight him again. If I beat him again and knock him out, will you put me on the car? And I said to him, yeah, if you beat him again second time and knock him out, if Sims you know, I said, you're going to fight this guy again? Yeah, I'm going to fight him. I'm going to take him out this time. And the guy took him out. What can I say to the guy? He deserves it. You know? So Sims, I, you know, I think one of his hands has got a fracture in it or something. Yeah. He's high. So he can't do it. So I put the hand. Goleen's not a little man either. No. You know, he's about six foot two and about 250. Yeah. It's going to be yeah, a heck of a rock'em, sock'em fight, dude. Yeah, that's going to be a fight, too. I, just, I, I look at these fights, man. They're just, they're great. Yeah, they're uh, interesting fights. Then you got... Edwin Dweez, this guy's 24, oh, yeah. quite a few fights. This is a good, good MMA fighter. Now, the guy he's fighting, a lot of people don't know, Maverick Harvey. Yeah, I've heard of him. I've heard him in, titled in some kickboxing champion. Yeah. You know, who's very, very good. And, he, and his MMA record is very, very good. This is a tough guy. This is a crazy man. I mean, he sent me a DVD of him. You know, he's, he's on the highway on his motorcycle, and a car is videotaping him from the side, and then he stands up on the highway with other cars going by, and he stands up on the seat with his arms out, you know? You know, what kind of oh nut is this? He's on the highway. Yeah. 
he does another thing where he comes up next to a truck and his hands are on the handlebars and his legs go out to the side and he's like dancing on the side of the truck as he's driving the motorcycle with the truck next to him. Good I mean, guy is crazy. <laughs> yeah, he's a nut job. You know, he has no fear of anything. Kickboxing champ, very good MMA. It's going to be an interesting fight because he's like an unknown quantity. Yeah. And he's a character and he's this and he's flamboyant. It's going to be a good fight. Munson, brilliant, good fight. Then the other fight that has a lot of interest, and we put this together, <laughs> Sean O'Hare and Mark Kerr. Yes, Mark indeed. Kerr. Mark Kerr, man. Mark Please. Kerr was a star in this sport. He yes. came out of college, a wrestling champ. He had everything going for him. They do that movie on him, and then things started to fall apart in him in his life. Yeah. And he's got problems. I mean, it's been documented oh, about yeah. his problems in life and this and that. Sean O'Hare, the same thing. Sean O'Hare was a WCW champion, went to yeah. WWE, we did this, did that. I believe Vince, Vince dropped the ball on him. I just and and you know he's a big guy, yeah. talented, this and that, and but he's got those same demons. Both of them, their careers are at a crossroads. Most people didn't want to deal with them. Yeah. And I said, like, their names, let's match them up. It'd be an interesting match. They're both oh big fellows. And you know what? Maybe one of them will take a really serious and revive his career. Yeah. Well, Sean O'Hare, he's just got the he just got the look. When he was in uh, WCW, and him and uh, and O'Hare, and they were marketing him, and he great athletic talent. And then he got to WWE, and Vince really didn't know. I've I've always wondered if it was just the fact that Vince didn't know what to do with him, or if it was that whole thing if he had that WCW stain on him. So it was like, well, we've got to just flush this guy down the toilet. Then he disappears for a while, starts doing MMA and some K1 stuff, and then I see that he started. They've started using uh, some of his footage as marketing material for the Elite XC on Showtime, and then <laughs> all of a sudden I see him pop up on your card, and I'm like, "Great, this guy's finally getting a shot again." Yeah, we're going to give him the shot. Um, you know, the commission is very strict, and if they, the commissioner. At Mohegan Sun spoke to both Carl yeah. and oh, wow. personally and said, you know, uh, you know, the promoter is giving you a shot. Don't blow it. You know, you will be tested for this, 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 and this. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, be clean. Don't waste your shot. You give it a shot because if you blow this for a stupid reason, you're failing a drug test for whatever, then your career is over. Yeah. You know, so and then, don't, and then. don't blow it. I mean, if you lose in the ring and you lose fair and square, that's something else. And the thing is, if they put on a great show... Well, I'll tell you, and this, this, this is the big thing. O'Hare and uh, Kerr, like you're saying, if they put on a good show, they're gonna, it's going to sell out. They're going to be rejuvenated instantly. Yeah, it's going to revive both their careers. Of course, the guy that wins will, will get more, but it can also help the guy that loses... If he goes in there and people see that, you know... He's still got he some in the gas yeah. tank. Yeah. And, and he put on a great show and there was no problems and this and that. But we're giving them the shot, you know. So, I mean, it's four interesting, quote-unquote, feature matches. And it encompasses a lot of things. I mean, Butterbean's in there because Butterbean could bring in boxing fans. Yeah. And most of the media doesn't know he's been fighting in pride over there. In, in no. Japan. And he's so got some ground skills I've seen just recently. 
Yep. Good Lord, he's pulling, he's he's moving his weight around, he's pulling some grappling moves out. I'm like, this is something. What I've always wanted to see, and, and I'm sure that due, due to the fact that you've got the contact in the sport and you know what's going on, I'm sure this has probably crossed your mind on several occasions, but there was a guy that a few years ago was huge, just mega huge, Bob Sapp, and he kind of disappeared. And I've always thought it would be great if him and Butterbean were, were to get together, or maybe Sapp and Tank Abbott. Have you guys done um, any, any, any thinking Bob, about Bob getting Sapp, Sapp together? Was, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I looked into getting Sapp. Yeah. Okay. Because Bob Sapp is also on the contract with Rick Bassman. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. And Sapp was fighting over there in K1. Yeah, because you know, I, I heard that he had a big mess over there. They they had him in Holland or something, and he was going to kick off. He didn't off. show up in Holland or yeah. something. Over. And then uh, he supposedly um, went there this year for some match. But he's been having some problems. The thing is, he wants a lot of money. Ah, uh, You know, because okay. you know, he's in that uh, Longest Yard movie yeah. and everything. He wants a lot of money. And, you know, uh, I'm saying, you know, uh, but the Rick, I said, you know, not that much, you know. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, Rick Bassman also has Tank Abbott on the contract. Yeah. You know, and Tank Ab- I, I, I believe I read that I Tank Abbott's going to fight, fight Kimbo Slice. Kimbo Slice, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know how and much. I, and, I, and I hope they actually have the fight because there are so many guys in the past that I've noticed with Tank. In UFC, when they brought him back just recently, they marketed him as, oh, Tank's back, he's going to start throwing bombs, and they start putting him up against his first shot out, he's fighting Frank Mir. Frank takes him down and submits him. And then they had him fight somebody else. The same thing happened. And then they, they matched, oh, it's going to be Chemo versus Tank. And Chemo did the exact same thing. And I'm just like, oh, people want to see Tank slug and thug. <laughs> That's what they want to see. They want to see him go at it. And I've always thought that when Kimbo Slice was getting popular, you know, let's match these two guys up. I'd love to see Butterbean and Tank Abbott. I think if you were to put a Butterbean Tank Abbott fight together, oh, I, I've looked into doing it. The thing is, they both want too much money. Well, see, that's the thing. See, the thing is, the pop know, culture um, effect is not as good as the mainstream sports effect, like the Del, like we were talking earlier. De La Hoya and Floyd, your mainstream sports fans, your boxing fans, they're going to sell the place out. They're going to buy it on pay per views. They're going to do all that. But a Butterbean Tank Abbott. Most MMA traditionalists are going to be like, ah, oh, these guys are thugs, I'm not paying for that. So you bring in the pop culture people that are like, well, I've heard of these guys. I used to watch, you know, Ultimate Fighting Challenge years ago. I'm going to, you know, do this again. And they watch that. They, they know Butterbean from The Tough Man and everything. They know Tank Abbott from WCW and all that. So they go to pay for it. Well, the, I don't think the pop culture fans, there's not enough of them or there's not enough paying ones to outnumber the mainstream sports fans, so you don't have that Delahoya Floyd effect. What are your thoughts on that? No, I agree. I mean, it's like yeah. why we have some hard-nosed MMA guys on this card. You know, yeah. Munson and Dweez, basically, basically those two, give us credibility, MMA credibility, where, yeah. where people say, um, you know, uh, I'm putting on a circus, you know, a little bit of this, <laughs> a little bit of that. But, you know, it... it, it you know, again, we're looking to entertain and we're looking to widen the possible fan base that we could bring in. There's going to be people that are going to come in to see
see the event because of Butterbean, because they know him from boxing. Yeah. And Butterbean, you know, as we're um, getting close with the local press, the legitimate press, the newspapers, TV, radio, I mean, they're looking, you know, who are they interested in, in interviewing? Butterbean. Yeah. Because, let's face it, you know, uh, the uh, Providence Times, the sports editor, he doesn't know Jeff Munson. Yeah. Sports editor from the Providence Times, but they know, you know. Oh yeah, they, they, they know Butterbean. Yeah, so, they know the bean. Oh. They know, you know, the whole nine yards. So that that's how that's going to work with them. So you know, especially on the first event now, we know it's going to be a tough sell. Yeah. You know, everybody thinks it's an easy sell. It isn't an easy sell. It's a tough sell. Yeah. You know, new organization, getting the word out. You know making the contacts in a, in a different business. Summertime. Yeah. Summertime is always a tougher sell. It's still basically a male audience. And as we talked to the marketing people at Mohegan Sun, what they said to me is, you know, Wayne, be, be aware of one thing. It's mostly males. It's yeah. summertime. And men buy late. So oh, yeah. This is mostly guys going with guys. And we all think about it. A guy, marketing guy said to me, he says, think about this. If you're going somewhere and you're going to go to a, a, a concert or a play or whatever with your girlfriend, your wife, whatever, they're going to make you buy those tickets two months in advance. Yeah. I want to go see this play. I want to go see it this day. You know, yeah, we'll get tickets. No, no, get them now so we get good seats. Get them now that and, you exactly. know, buy them in advance. But when you're going with your buddies and you're going up to a casino, yeah, you want to go next Friday? Yeah, let's go. We'll go up there. Yeah, we'll get the tickets when we get there. And you, <laughs> up and you have a drink. Let's go to the box store. Box office over. Let's pick up the tickets. Oh, look, they don't have tickets here. Right, but we got to buy these. This is all they got left. Okay. You know, hey, we're getting yeah. in. Let's get a beer. Let's go Let's go to the blackjack table for a while. This and that. You know, when a bunch of guys going, you're just, you know, you're just going. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's the difference. And guys will buy late. You know, I mean, the other problem that's happening in this industry now it's starting to run into oversaturation. Well, see, this was my next question. I, I see in the, the bodybuilding magazines, and I see some of these some of these places on the internet that all these guys from other sports are starting to jump into it. There's a rumor that uh, the world's strongest man, you know, pretty much the name guy from that sport, Marius Bujanovsky, is thinking about doing kickboxing and maybe some MMA. And I've always thought, are these guys jumping into it because of the fame? Or they jumping into it because of the money? Because the money obviously is not there yet. And it seems, and I heard a couple interviews with somebody one time where they said, well, as soon as it becomes global and it's humongous, the money's going to come. Well, I look at it as, like you are saying, oversaturation. The money's not coming, but it's everywhere. The money is there in the UFC. Yeah. UFC just isn't paying it. Because yeah. when you figure out, let's look at the December fight. I was with Dellen Ortiz. Yes. Did 1.1 million buys on pay-per-view. Yeah. At $39.95, $40. But you get back 40%. But 50% goes to pay-per-view, 10% goes to the cable company. So on, you have, they were getting back $16. Yeah. Okay? So it's easy to figure out all, you know, <laughs> yeah. they took in a little of about $18 million in pay-per-view sales. Yeah. 1.1 million buys. Okay? And then the live gate. The live gate was sold out, so... Yeah. So they were... So they took in, 
before they paid the fighters or anything else, over $20 million with concessions and this and that on their sportswear on one event. Now, their total um, fight card budget, they all the purses, I don't think hit a million dollars for that fight. Good Lord. And the Mandalay Bay Arena, that's where they held it. I know what that yeah. is, but I rented it too. Yeah. 25000 a day, four show days, 12 5 a day for setup, and then unions on top, and blah, blah, blah. So if they spent, say, quarter of a million for the venue, and then their TV production, let's say they spent another quarter of a million on TV production. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you look at the total expenses of that event, the total expenses of that event, even with advertising, was well under five million. Oh, yeah. And they took in twenty million. You know, so was the money there? Yeah, the money was there. You know, and they they were making big numbers on a lot of these events. Now, I read where I believe it was Liddell and um, Rampage. Yeah. That Liddell was guaranteed a half a million and a half a million if he won. Yeah. Rampage, I think, was 150 and 150. Yeah, because he just recently, uh, I guess yeah. he's got like one more deal left on his contract after they bought him from uh, WFA. And right. So, I mean, so he was getting his old WFA paycheck. Money is there. But now, what's happening is, you know, you, you look at, okay, the K-1 thing is the L.A. Coliseum, a fiasco. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> then you look Terrible at... Terrible, not even the word, sir. <laughs> then you look at Strike Force on June 22nd. That was Shane Barberoni, correct? Uf, yeah, yeah. And UFC on July 7th. Yeah. Two weeks apart, 14, 15 days apart, in the same area. Oh, yeah. San Jose to Sacramento, you could drive mm, in about three, three and a half hours. Yeah. So that meant, and they almost do the same thing, little, you know, about 8,500 in that range. Yeah. But neither one sold out. They both had empty seats. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, the reason why they had empty seats is because, you know, let's face it, if there was just one of them, well, if there was just the UFC in Sacramento, there would have been people from the Bay Area that would have drove up there. Or yeah. if there was just the San Jose show, there would have been people from the Valley that would have come in. But because they had both, well, if I lived in Stockton, California, I'm not going to go down to San Jose. I'm just going to go to Sacramento. Exactly. And vice versa, you know. And there's too many shows, too many places, even with the Bulldog event. Now, the Bulldog event a couple of weeks ago, was held in Trenton. Good Lord, not a good area. Speak of saturation, it's it's all over. <laughs> yeah, on the same night as a big boxing event in Atlantic City with Arturo Gotti. Exactly. And then you got all in Jersey. You just had the Mercer Kimbo Slice fight down exactly. there in Atlantic City. And then you have this. Well, Atlantic City to Trenton is what thirty, forty minutes. It's nothing. Yeah, something like that. It's nothing at all. And then, you know, now you got over here in Jersey at the Meadowlands, you've got um, the IFL 
using Continental Arena. Now, I yes. it's way too big. It's 20,000. Now, I know what their attendance figures were at Mohegan Sun. Yeah. And wh why are you going from a facility like that to a facility twice as large when you couldn't fill the other one to full capacity? <laughs> you know, you, they cut it off and put a stage and this and that. You know, and then upping your stuff. I mean, and it's just too much. Yeah, the team concept is is one thing, but the team hasn't caught on. It's not they don't have a following, say, like the Yankees have. Yeah. Because how many team events do they have during the year that you go to to build up your fan base? The team event here that the uh, what is it, the New York Pit Bulls? I don't even know what their yeah. name is. Well, and, and it's the same thing like these these guys a few years ago and I don't know if they're still around or what the hell happened to them, but these guys, and they were called Real Pro Wrestling, and they basically were taking amateur wrestling, doing a team concept, sticking them on TV, and they had it on Sundays on, like, uh, PAX TV had it, Fox Sports had it for a little bit, and they weren't doing real incredible numbers either, and they were selling it as a professional amateur wrestling. It was a team concept. And a lot of the guys that were on these teams were not from those cities. So how, how, do, how do you end up following a team, like you were saying? If <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the only thing that the IFL has going for it is a lot of money, because when they went public with their stock, they raised a lot of funds. Yeah. So they'll be around for a while because they got the money to do it, and they could start making small deals and doing inroads and this and that. But yeah. somewhere down the line, you know, it's it's got to catch on where, you know, the team gets a following. Yeah. I mean, Name the members of the team. I mean, when I saw them in, in April of Mohegan Sun, you know, like I said, I think it's the pit bulls there with Henzo Gracie, you know, like three or four of the guys, three, I think three of the guys or the five guys that fought was their first pro fight. I, I can't. Like, I, I can name the members. coaches. Nobody knew who they were. Yeah, I can name the coaches, but I can't name the teams. Yeah, nobody could, nobody knows any of the guys that are fighting. And that that was, to me, that's the drawback there. I mean, you'll go if you know the fighters or... If you just well, the now they're starting to have the coaches do fight night, each other. But, yeah, but, you, you know, you, it's got to be something to draw <laughs> the fans. I mean, we go to see stars. It's just like here in New York now with baseball. The controversy is, is Alex Rodriguez going to be worth $30 million a year because he could opt out of his contract? Yeah. Well, the thing is, as they're saying, did the Yankees ever draw 4 million people before Alex Rodriguez came to the team? No. Yeah. And this is his fourth year on the team, and I think this will be the third year out of four that they're drawing four million people. And he's got to be one of the reasons because he's the best player in baseball. Yeah. And if you take him off the team, you know, is he worth thirty million when you factor in everything else? Yeah. The headaches, you know. But people go to yeah. see stars. How do they market the NBA? Come see Shaquille O'Neal and Dwayne exactly. Wade and the Miami Heat. It's almost like with a movie, name above the title. Yeah. You know, Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones. Exactly. You know, Indiana Jones 4, whatever that they're making now. It's not <laughs> that Indiana Jones 4 starring Harrison Ford. No, Harrison Ford's name is above the title. Yeah. You know, the stars of the team, LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Exactly. Duncan and the San Antonio Spurs. You know, stars sell. that We're in that kind of society. And I, I think that's the drawback of the IFL. There's no stars. You know, with the UFC, they've got stars. 
It's just, are they oversaturating them? And if, is there too many UFC events now? That too. That, that's what I a mean, lot of people are saying about Vince and WWE. There's too many pay-per-views. Yeah, they're doing, I mean, they're doing three or four money? pay-per-views a month, and it's the same thing with UFC. We're doing stuff on Spike TV. We're doing these Ultimate Fight Nights. We're doing the uh, uh, UFCs overseas and showing them for free. There's a rumor they're going to do an HBO thing. They've got the pay-per-views every month. It, it's just the thing is, I mean, when they used to do like three or four, something like five pay-per-views a year, it was a special occasion. Yeah. Now, I mean, when you look at it, August 26th, they got a pay-per-view, the one from Mandalay Bay with yeah. the tours fighting uh, Dog or somebody. Yeah. Then, two weeks later, they got Rampage against Henderson, and that's going to be out of London. Yeah. And then two weeks after that, they're talking about Liddell against Chris Jardine. Yeah. I mean, so you're looking at every other week... <laughs> a pay-per-view. It's a pay-per-view, well, yeah. I'm going to be paying more for pay-per-views than I pay, for, you know, for my basic, you know, for my cable bill. Oh, yeah. My pay-per-view part of my cable bill is going to outdo my bill for the entire month. <laughs> it's, 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 and, an, and, and regular it's incredibly insane is what it is. Wayne. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really, they can't afford it, and it's oversaturation. To me, you know, Rampage Henderson is an interesting fight. And I, to me, they're wasting it in England. Yeah. Because that pay-per-view will be on here at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Eastern Time and Noon Time in California, like they did with the other thing from Ireland. Yeah. You know, so you're going to... Uh, are you going to try not to find out who won by staying away from the Internet and this and that all day? Exactly. Because they just keep rerunning it and rerunning it and watching it at night on a normal night thing? Or are you going to stay in on a summer afternoon or a nice day to watch it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And it doesn't have the same effect as when you're watching, like, East Coast here. You know, it comes on at 10 o'clock at night, at 9 o'clock at night, the pay-per-view. You know, and I just think there's way too many of them. I mean, you know, their pay-per-view numbers went through the roof in 2006 where it improved. I, I read in a Wall Street Journal, of like, the money and the viewers went up 700% or something, some ridiculous yeah. number like that. It'll never do that again. It might go down. Because oversaturation. I don't think since Liddell Ortiz on December 30th, I don't think any of the pay-per-views have hit a million since then. No. Because there's too many of them. Yeah. And that's what you guys in global fighting, I'm assuming, you are going to try to prevent from happening. Yeah, I mean, we're only looking to do two events a year in Mohegan Sun in this area. Yeah. And, you know, if we expand to a third event in another area of the country, fine. If we look to go to Europe, because i got connections there with all the bodybuilding promoters, yeah, yeah there's places over there that guys are interested in seeing, fine. You know, guys in Australia that I know are thinking, hey, could we do something in Australia here? Yeah. Fine. You know? You know what? Hey, put it on Australia. I won't pay-per-view it back to America. Because, you know, it, again, oversaturation. Yeah. You know, what happens is, Everybody gets into this business thing. Well, we made this much this year. We have to make more money next year, more money exactly. next year, more money next year. And you know what? You can't. You get to a certain point, and then you plateau, and you, you stay at that level for a while, and then you look for other ways to increase your revenue. And then you up it again. But you, you can't keep pushing and pushing and pushing. It's the same people. 
And even though the fan base of this industry has increased a lot, it's not that they, yeah. we have, you know, 50 million people into MMA. Exactly. You know, it's like, you know bodybuilding is small. Oh, yeah. I knew bodybuilding was small because when I would say, I think like between the Olympia, the Arnold Classic, and Night of Champions, one third of each of those events is the same person. Yeah. But I knew that there was certain hardcore fans at night of champions, then they'd also go to the Arnold every March, and then they go to the Olympia every fall. Yeah. Well, that tells you you don't have much of a fan base. <laughs> if something happens to that guy, he moves, he gets old, he dies, he this, he that, you're losing a fan of three events. Yeah. You know, and, you know, you find a lot of people that are traveling to these events, and now they can, you know, they're not going to travel all the time. You know, the event, like I said, in Sacramento didn't sell out. And, you know, the event in, in Mandalay Bay now, it's still not sold out. Yeah. You know, and they've got mailing lists and they've got this, they got that. When they did the event in Ohio in March during the Arnold Classic weekend, because it was the first UFC event ever. Yeah. They, the first 48 hours it went to their preferred buyers list, their preferred fans. Yeah. And they sold over 5,000 people.
going away. And now it's back when everybody else is back. Well, everybody saw what happened in 2006 and saying, whoa, you know, let's jump on this bandwagon here. And it's like, you know, boat dogs got unlimited money. We know where it comes from. Yeah. But, you know, the person who was running the event down there, I mean, from people that I spoke to that went, they said, you know, that sometimes there was 20 minutes between matches. And then yeah. after about five matches, they said, now we're going to take an intermission. Well, it seemed like they were taking an intermission, that person said, between every match anyway. <laughs> and it started at 8, and it went past midnight. Well, see, that's another thing. You got, you, you've got a uh, complex promotion situation, I guess, lack of a better term. The Bodog guys, you know, they've got unlimited amount of money. But, like you were saying, they're taking intermissions. They're doing odd things. Um, the K-1 show that was just put on recently, you want to talk about odd. <laughs> and that, Brock Lesnar and all of them. And uh, then it seemed like everybody but Brock Lesnar got nailed for steroids, which I thought was kind of strange. But <laughs> I don't know what it's in his contract. <laughs> you know, well, that event... You know, they name it, they announce it one month before it's going to happen, and they're putting it in the Coliseum and this and that. You know, I, I, that was almost like, you know, UFC's coming into Japan by buying pride. Okay, we're going to then do an event in your backyard. Yeah. In L.A. And you know, we even see with UFC, have they been able to reestablish pride in Japan? No. No. And... That would be where to go because there is a tremendous market there. Yes. And you could do events there and you're not oversaturating the market here. And you don't have to pay per view everything back, pay per view it over there. Yeah. And well, or, that or, or whatever. The and, one... and for whatever reason they spent the sixty million or sixty five million, whatever we've read, to buy pride. And all they're doing is just taking a couple of their fighters and incorporating it into UFC, and there's nothing going on there, no events. They let all the big guys go. Was it worth the $65 million? Let's see, that's the thing. And, and uh, you, bring up a, you brought up a good point the entire interview about why pay-per-view things back. You're going to do things overseas. Uh, there's a company, a professional wrestling company, and I'm sure you've probably heard of them, called Ring of Honor, and they have a huge fan base. And they've just recently got into the pay-per-view market. They've spent the majority of their time putting out DVDs, and they make a killing on DVD sales. And I've always thought, why can't you know an MMA promotion do it that way? Just market at DVD. Forget about pay-per-view. Now, obviously, you're you're going to probably take a hit financially, but it's an interesting concept, and it's something nobody else is trying because everybody else is like, got to get on pay-per-view now. Well, you know, if you can get on pay-per-view and you draw decent numbers, you'll make money. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, is it, you know, I look at it this way, you know, let's say UFC is averaging, you know, 600,000 yeah. buys. Okay? You do 10%, you do 5% of that, 30,000 buys, okay? And let's say you charge less charge $30 instead of $40. So it's $12 a buy. 30000 buy. $360,000. Now, if you get 
someone to come in and you make a DVD deal with someone and they cover part of your production. So instead of your production, say, costing 100 grand or so, it costs, you know, 50, 60. You're still walking away with 300,000 clear yeah. on top of your gate. You know, and as you saw with the numbers I told you before on the, on the Liddell fight in December, you know, pay-per-view brought in for them 16 to 18 million. And the live gate and concessions and everything else involved brought them in three to four million. Yeah. You know, the pay-per-view is the big cash cow because you're reaching so many other people. It's just, again, if you oversaturate it... You're going to be screwed. Yeah. I mean, because each event <laughs> is going to go down. The people can only buy so much. And if they get too much of something, you know, I mean, how many times is Chuck Liddell going to fight in a year? How many times is Randy Couture going to fight in a year? How many exactly. times are all these stars going to fight in a year? Because you see them fight too much, it's not special anymore. I mean, to me, they should only fight like me once a year, maybe twice, but once within a 12-month period. I mean, you take Liddell, fought in December, he fought again... Uh, fighting all, fight all the time, that's the thing. Yeah, if it's a if it's a cash cow concept, if they're like, oh my God, he's the only guy we got that makes us any money, we got to get him out there, or if it's the fact that he's like, well, I want to stay active, because I remember they did a fight where it was Tito or the first time Tito fought Shamrock. Chuck didn't have to fight on that show, but he fought anyway because he said, I got to stay active, I got to stay active. Well, if he's got to stay active, let him go do some of these other events. But then you run into a situation of th these other events. Then use that talent to market, you know. Oh, we got Chuck Liddell from the UFC fighting on our, you know, event. It's not like bodybuilding yeah, I mean, where they, you somebody know, can that's, take that's off. That's the problem. Like it. I said, the thing that I'm worried about now is just oversaturation. Yeah. You know, and maybe that's why two weeks went to guys that haven't been seen much, or they got names, but whatever. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing. And uh, now I could tell you this too. I mean get emails every day from fight managers. There's more fight managers and fighters out there. I get, these, I get some of these fight managers who want to book guys on the program, and they, they just have no clue what's going on, or they've got these guys nobody's ever heard of, or, or they, they've got guys nobody's ever heard of, but they're, oh, they're named guys right now. I'm like, come on, dude. I'm sure you get the same thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody wants to fight on the card. Everybody, everybody wants to be wants involved in... You know, making money. They want to be able to go, I'm an MMA guy. I'm fighting in this. I'm fighting in that. I'm exactly. doing this. I'm doing that. And the thing is, um, you know. It's just a mess. There's just so much. And, you know, they name me all the fighters they have. And you hardly heard of any of them. You know, and then they want big money, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's. Uh, I've done a lot of work with uh, local and unsigned bands here locally. And they, they're the same way. You know, they've got a couple. They've got a CD out three of their buddies have. And all of a sudden they're commanding like Metallica money, and I'm like, um, "You're a local band who played at the VFW three weeks ago. You're not that big of a deal." And it's just like these MMA guys. Well, I thought, you know, I've got a record of, you know, my my favorites, the guys that are undefeated and they've got all these fights. And if you break it down, they're going to be fighting once a day, once a week for like an entire year. Yeah, I'm sure you get the, the these guys that have oh, yeah. overinflated records. And they got no proof either. They got no tape. Yeah. <laughs> it's just 
No, I mean, so, I mean, like I said, you know, there, there are certain, you know, we understood there would be certain drawbacks yeah. in this because of what's going on in the industry. I mean, and I've heard stories that some people that were involved with the Bulldog event that they might not be involved with that organization anymore or something. Also, I don't know if it's true or not, you know, because yeah. that event wasn't good. I mean, they should be going in there with an unlimited budget. Yeah. I mean, they, they got all the money in the world to, to deal with. You know, they should be going in there and being able to do everything top of the line. Yeah. You know, so, like I said, we understand the position we're in, that we have an opportunity, and if we do our marketing good, we will yeah. get a very good crowd. If we put on a good event and entertain the crowd, they'll want to come back. Yeah. And, you know, we'd be forming our own mailing list and our own contacts and how to market in the area and so on, making all the contacts with the gyms, with the newspapers, and all the stuff we have to do. And then we'd be looking at doing, like I said, two a year. You know, whether yeah. we do another one in the, in the dead of summer again? Mm, probably not. Yeah. You know, because I could see ticket sales are slower. Yeah. For all the events in Mohegan Sun, ticket sales are slower. And it's why there's not a lot of stuff going on in the middle of summer. Oh, yeah. You know, things pick up towards the end of August. Things die, you know, around 4th of July weekend. Yeah. Because everybody's, you know, they're, they're going out and they're, they're, they're yeah. doing all sorts of different things. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you think about what you're doing yourself, you know. So, you know, there's, there's things that we're looking at, but, you know, we're yeah. trying to do a lot of things. We, you know, uh, trying to set up making connections with all yeah. the legitimate press, all the newspapers oh, in the yeah. area where we're going to contact all the sports editors and invite them to the press conference. That's trying great. to set up, like, with Butterbean, a oh, yeah. conference yeah. call interview ahead of time, provide them with a photo so we get stuff in the magazine, in newspapers. Yeah. Um, your mar- your, your advertising your, on radio and TV. Oh, yeah. The marketing is going to be incredible for this. Yeah, I mean, so we know what we have to do. We just have to go do it. And, well, um, I'll tell you, Wayne, it's, it, I hate to catch off. I'd love to talk longer, but uh, we've reached the end of our limit here. Uh, Wayne Demillion, I'll tell you, you're, you're a legend. I'd love to have you back on uh, around Anytime. bodybuilding season, and we can talk about more about the Olympian, where bodybuilding's going, because I... I I just I would love to pick your brain on the sport of bodybuilding. Love to do that. Anytime you'd like, I'd love to be on. And remember one other thing with global fighting. Yeah, August seventeenth. Go to Ticketmaster, get your tickets. Globalfightingchampionships.com, and check out our Ring Girls. Where every other organization, their Ring Girls are hoping to get in Playboy and Maxim. Our girls have already been in Playboy and Maxim. Exactly. And on top of it, make the fantasy a little further. They're sisters. <laughs> appreciate it, man. I will I will definitely be in touch because I'd love to have you back on around Olympia. Okay, let me know if you're able to come to the event. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll get you, I'll get you an email. Okay, I've got you go you. through Joel. Joel's handling all the press credentials. Okay. I'll do that, man. Okay. I appreciate it. I'll Thanks. talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you. Thanks.
It's Evangeline's Dance from Larry Splash Splash Michaelich. He's got a radio name, Larry Splash Michaelich. He's in the Catolo's uh, band. I can't remember what the hell their names are. <laughs> Sorry, guys. www.jiggyjigway.com on the internet. Let's check out my voicemails. on the Jiggy Jig Why You Shoo! We've got Miniature Matt with us. Mini Matt, say hi to people. Hi. It's Mini Matt on the Jiggy Jig Why You Show. Mini Matt, are you going to take over from me eventually? Are you going to take over the big show? Is this going to become the Matthew Sandberg show? Talk to the mic. Hey. Talk into the mic, Pete. Is this eventually going to be your show? He's... I don't know what's going on. Loves Ard Wings from Larry Splash. Michael Chair on the Jiggy Jig while you show. Coast to coast, aboard the motor all over the world wide web. Doing the damn thing on a Sunday. We listen to my voicemails. I'm going to go speak to some women about making an appearance in some naughty America www.jiggyjigwaii.com on the internet doing the damn thing on a Sunday um check out www.jiggyjigwaii.com all sorts of things are up there we got the poll question we got the weekly rant the weekly rant check that out www.jiggyjigwaii.com on the internet we'll see you later peace and I'm at well not peace I'm at 5,000 I'm not done with the show just gonna take a quick little time out and talk to my Negroes, Negroes before hoes. Why do black men have such big rhinoceros penises? That's my question. That's my question. Why do black men have big gigantic penises? I'm looking for an exposed, some exposed literati. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Tom Rokai, everything I knows. We're here in Africa looking at some exposed clitorati. I don't know, once in a while I just entertain myself. The webcam is up right now. Check out www.jiggyjigway.com. Also, we got a chat room. Uh, talk shoes up and running. Nowlive.com. All sorts of things. 
next week on the big show, Jerry Cullen and Bruce Dern. Maybe that's this week, I don't know. Doesn't matter. I think I'm looking at the Freaky Friday deal. www.jiggyjigway.com on the internet. We'll talk to you here in just a few here on the very, very, very big show. Download all the past bits and best interviews with new things added each week at JiggyJagwa.com. We're back here on the Jiggy Jaguar Show speaking with Vicky Sutherland. Am I going to get that? Yeah, I, Vicky I, knew, I knew I was going to butcher that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't done that today, but I knew that I did at least once. You happen to be the victim, my friend. I'm the name Slaughter. Face bra. Give us some information on what this is. Great. The face bra. I created the face bra to keep these special minerals on the skin for for an hour. What does the trick and does the lifting and um, and gives the mini facelift is actually the minerals. And the minerals need to be on the skin for about an hour. And when they're on the skin for about an hour, they absorb deeply and um, tighten the skin and rejuvenate the cells and actually um, do a mini facelift. So we needed a way to keep the minerals on the skin, and that became the face bra. Wow. So the face bra is worn. It sort of like covers the whole face. It's not like a sock, but, you know, it's made out of cotton and non-latex elastic fabric. And so it's worn by um, just pretty much covering the face except for the eyes, and you saturate it with the minerals before you put it on. So... Um, it pulls out uh, the liquid and watery tension that the skin holds on to that gives it that puffy, older look. And that's where you get a, a, a face left. Wow. Well, I know that I, I, it, sounds, it sounds very interesting. Give us a little bit on your background and how you came to develop this product. Well, you know what? I'm a business girl. And um, I have, I, I'm a woman and I'm a businesswoman. And, I mean, my background is in high tech. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, and um, you know, I have had uh, lots and lots of um, just experience with um, in, inventing different products and, and doing, you know, different, um, different inventions. I did not make this as a quote-unquote invention, though. I, yeah. I was playing around for myself. And many years ago, I had uh, gotten a body wrap a suddenly slender mineral body wrap. Yeah. And it, um, that process tightened the skin on my stomach after I had a couple of kids. And so when my, my face started, <laughs> um, you know, just the skin started getting looser and um, started aging, I thought, gosh, if I could just find those minerals that um, I use in the body wrap. So I went to the creator of the body wrap, and she helped formulate some minerals, especially for the face. And so um, these are similar minerals as used in the body wrap that is, you know, the, the body wrap that's been done oh, a yeah. million times. So, um, you know, it's well tested and, and it works. Wow. Why, why do you think that, uh, I guess you would say, this, this product is, is something that's relevant right now to, uh, to everybody out there? Well, it's relevant because people are going in for cosmetic surgery in droves. And um, for some people, okay, it's the right thing to do. And for other people, cosmetic surgery isn't quite the, the next step. 
and so for people looking for the next step, like I was, um, you know, when I made this for myself and then found it worked and I gave it to all my friends and <laughs> they found it worked, so I, I packaged it up and here we are. But, um, you know, for people in that in-between area who aren't quite uh, interested in cosmetic surgery or not quite ready, yeah. um, it's, it's definitely an in-between solution. And I and I think a lot of a lot of women, a lot of men, a lot of people in general are using cosmetic surgery pretty easily. Um, sometimes too easily. Yeah, know? that that seems to be the thing that I don't understand, and that is that you know, it, it, it we're all about the quick fixes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, talk about quick fix or not quick fix. You know, cosmetic surgery it seems like a quick fix, but by the time you add up the cost and the amount of time away from work, the pain, and um, it, it becomes pretty costly and pretty time-consuming. But nonetheless, I mean, the education in the media just is more oriented towards surgery or, or cosmetic uh, or elective-type surgeries. They're yeah. not really, you know, they're not really oriented towards um, natural solutions or alternative solutions to that. So I think that's, um, that's, where this, that's what we're doing now fits. Yeah. It really does. I mean, have you ever known anyone who got cosmetic surgery? Uh, no. Yeah. In the middle of Kansas, so that's kind of... Okay. Yeah, it's not really a thing necessarily. <laughs> yeah, it's really... not really hasn't jumped off out here. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a pretty complex process. It's, it's painful. It's, it's ugly. There's a lot of swelling. And, um, yeah, it's not really something that you would do if you ever saw somebody go through it. Well, I'll tell you, so, the, the one thing I've noticed about the face bra, which is really uh, interesting, I guess, is, uh, well, first of all, the name is interesting. How uh, did yeah. come up with the... <laughs> because it lifts and firms. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what a bra does. It lifts and firms. <laughs> also, the, there was a face bra on the, um, on the Seinfeld show. Yeah. Did you ever see that show? Yes. And so uh, there have been sitcoms that have developed um, a story around or at least one or two episodes around a quote-unquote face bra. Okay, so that's uh, an interesting... I took it from there. Yes, an, an interesting dichotomy when you think about it. There's there's lots of things that uh, it's influenced, I guess, and, and different things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, since you're in Kansas, the, um, the face wrapping process is great for sun-bleached skin or sun, you know, just skin that has had a lot uh, of sun exposure. Yeah. It's, it, seems, it seems to be that's the, uh, that's the thing. There's, a, there's a, a lot of people, are, you know, going out in the sun this summer and just on a, just on a regular basis. And uh, so this, so this is very really relevant to what's going yeah, on. Yeah, now here's why the face wrap is, and the face wrapping process is good for skin that's, that's had a lot of sun exposure. The reason it's good is because it detoxifies the skin and it yeah. pulls out the impurities, and it pulls out and it nourishes the skin cells. And that's one of the things that the sun will do to the skin is that it will, um, it'll harm the skin cells and it'll dehydrate the skin and, and the cells. And so 
by nourishing it and hydrating the cells with minerals, you're actually adding back to the skin what the sun took away from it. Oh, well, that is that's very interesting. So basically, uh, is this is this uh, face bra? Can you pretty much get this anywhere, or is this? You can get it in salons. You can get it in stores. You can get it from our website. Um, can I give you our website? Oh yeah, go ahead. Okay, cool. Great. It's um, bestfacewrap or bestfacebra.com. Both take you to the same place, whichever you can remember easiest. Yes. Think the face bar, the face wrap. And um, there's a lot of information on the website on how it works and why it works. Um, you know, why does it, how does it pull out the water retention? Like, especially men, you guys get a lot of fluid retention in the, in the under chin, yeah. which is, you know, which creates a better chin. Oh, yeah. So you get a lot of fluid retention there, and the face wrap pulls that fluid retention out and diminishes the double chin. And there's information on our website on how, you know, exactly why that happens, um, you know, why the body will just let go of the water it's holding on to. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's, a, uh, it's an interesting, interesting deal. Uh, do you have any future plans for uh, any type of, I guess, inventions or... Next new product, yeah, you know, yeah. he's got a tummy bra. Really? Yeah, he's got a tummy bra coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned for that. All There's a lot of tummies. All sorts of, of things could, going on. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of tummies that could be a lot smaller in this world, don't you think? Yeah, I do agree with that. <laughs> well, Becky, I've appreciated the, the time you took out of your schedule and busy schedule to talk to us today. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so happy to talk to you. It's sort of an education process that we're doing, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, um, we're just, just kind of helping people along there. Thank you, Vicki. I appreciate it. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. Definitely. I'll be in touch. Okay. Thanks. Okay, bye. bye-bye. Hey, this is Dutch. You're listening to the Jiggy Jaguar, so strip off those clothes, grab that bowl of jello, and let's get busy. JiggyJaguar.com Download all the past bits and best interviews with new things added each week at JiggyJaguar.com. We are back here on the Jiggy Jaguar You Show speaking with Veronica Monet. Veronica is making her second appearance on our program. She's one of the few that uh, has earned the opportunity to come back. Actually, she's the only people, one of the people that returned my phone calls. Um, oh. Veronica, how are you? <laughs> Really great, just sitting here in the middle of the Tahoe National Forest with the sun beating down and uh, birds flying around. It's not a bad life. Well, Veronica is a certified sex educator, a founding member of the Association of Sexual Energy Professionals, which sounds just like it wouldn't fit on a business card. Um, she's a trained volunteer for the Center Against Rape and Domestic Violence, and she's got all sorts of things going on. you got... Just tons of things going on, but what's been going on since uh, we last had you on the show uh, God, well, about a year and, or two and, ago? And, yeah, at that time you interviewed me about the new book, which was Sex Secrets of Escort. Yes, indeed. Pretty good there on Amazon. Um, I'm working on a new book, which I'm having a hard time finding a publisher for. It's called Philosophy. Yeah. And um, I'm work- it's an international team. I've got a graphic artist from Pakistan and a uh, illustrator from um, uh, Belgium, and then there's me from the U.S. But, you know, we're taking on religion and uh, sex, and 
we can't seem to find anybody who will publish it because it's just too controversial. <laughs> 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 but it gets become an exquisite, exquisite sensation of both pleasure and pain. Wow. Because, you know, I, I, I want to get it published, but I have to admit that if it was a, if it was a slam dunk, I'd wonder just how banal the material really was. So it okay. must be a really great book because people don't want to touch it. Exactly. Which doesn't have to come out of my pocket either. So, 
good thing. It is, but it's not as as proactive as it used to be. So, um, yeah. of course, I'm new to this whole thing of being an author, so this is all I've ever known. But I hear tales from other authors that uh, publishers used to be a lot more marketing proactive. But. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you know what? There's just so many damn books nowadays. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <It really is. laughs> I'm gonna tell you, I, I think books are gonna go extinct at some point. Really? You um, think you think eventually people are just gonna give up I don't, doing the book I, thing no. and just either buy them online or read them online? I think we're gonna move in a direction where we're gonna be experiencing our books in a different way. Yeah. They're gonna be coming at us in a you know, probably through some kind of a visual medium that is more entertaining and more um, multimedia. So yeah. You, you get sound and sight. And, they, and I, you know, I'm fully prepared to launch into that. As a matter of fact, philosophies um, would be totally uh, up for that because we've got uh, animated uh, cartoons that yeah. adapt very well to television. Our animators actually got credits from Shrek and, and Harry Potter and, and Jurassic Park, so... Wow. Worked on, worked on a lot of films, and that's his specialty is animation. So um, I'm moving more in the direction of trying to make a book that's more multimedia, and we're even incorporating blogs, you know. So we're yeah. actually um, dialoguing through instant messaging. Wow. And the other, the other writers. Yeah. And, and it's, it's more interactive. I wrote an article for the book and then, you know, sent it to a friend of mine over in Bangkok, Thailand, and he came back with some comments, and rather than edit my chapter, I, I think it's a lot more fun to have his comments on there. Because I really think that's what people are into now. They're into, like, the arguments. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I, and my friend came back and said, well, I think you missed these points, and I don't like what you said here. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's put it in the book. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the the new book, how long did it take to get this put together? You know, it, a couple of years ago, we all sat down and, and, and basically had this vision that we loved the topic of animals. Yeah. And we're like, we want to we want to do something about animals. That you know, our conversations about animals were a little obtuse, a little weird. You know, <laughs> we'd be talking about how that intersected with something we'd seen you know, on a, a political satire or... <laughs> and making some real big leaps of illogic. <laughs> yeah. And in some ways, um, you know, we've actually said this is a book to help other people, encourage other people to think for themselves because we don't agree, you know. We, we have disparate views on topics. But for instance, I think sex is the way to peace. That's my big thing. Yeah. I'm all, I'm all about the bonobos, you know. I think <laughs> if we had more sex, we'd have less violence. <laughs> and, um, boy, that's, uh, that's not, you know, it's pretty controversial in some circles. Or people kind of always get this uncomfortable look on their face, like, yeah, that might be, but let's not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, something I, I did want to get your comment on, and it, and it yeah. just popped up today, and I thought, Great, I'm having you on the show. I want to talk about it. I seen this earlier this morning on the internet, and there is uh, the what is it? The governor of a central Russian province has urged couples to skip work on Wednesday and make love instead to help boost 
precious low birth weight rate. And I guess if uh, a woman gives birth in Russia in exactly nine, nine months' time on Russia's national day of June 12th, she'll so qualify for a prize, perhaps even winning a new home. <laughs> you're, the, you're the sex educator. With somebody, what, what, what is your take on this? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll tell you, my take on it is that sex is owned and operated by the state. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what country you're in, whether you're in Russia or the United States, you know, everybody's got their own take on freedom, but there is no country on this planet that's got a sexual bill of rights. Yeah. You know, so there's no no people on this planet to get to grow up and run their own sex lives. So the government may ask you not to have sex, and it might ask you to have sex, and then it might tell you (laughs) why you should have sex. So it's not telling have sex for fun, but rather they want you to procreate. Yeah. A, a really patronizing um, approach towards the citizens. Citizens are never, you know how when you were a kid you thought, oh wow, I can't wait till I turn 18, I get to leave home, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And that never really comes to fruition because, you know, you may be able to vote, you might be able to fight for your country, you might be able to, you know, own a home, drive a car, or take a drink of alcohol. But you're never, ever going to be able to own and operate your own sex life right. the way the laws read now. Yeah. The way the laws read now, they can always um, tell you, nope, sorry, you can't do it for money, or uh, nope, sorry, you know, if you're in China, they don't want you to have babies. If you're in Russia, they do want you to have babies. If you're in the United States, um, they don't care um, as long as you don't make any money off of it, you don't do it in public, and... Um, Apparently, you can't do it in the bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I've had sex in a bathroom stall. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. I don't care what the big deal is. But <laughs> I, I would. I, I would. I would love to have you tell the story about the uh, having the sex in the bathroom stall. But I wanted to get your comments. On uh, your uh, well, speaking of bathroom stalls, maybe maybe you maybe you'll end up having sex along the way on your October tour that you got coming up of, uh, of Seattle. Give me some information on that. Actually, I'm going to be facilitating sex for other people. Okay. Um, a, I, <laughs> <laughs> I have a workshop called a Garden Bursting with Life. Doesn't that sound esoteric? Yes, indeed. Um, it's for couples. Yeah. For couples, and I. I actually start off the first hour and a half working on interpersonal and communication issues with our clothes on, yeah. and then we spend the last hour and a half with the clothes off. I don't actually get naked, but everybody else does. Yeah. And every, people are, they come in as couples because, you know, I don't want to be um, yeah. the responsibility of getting people partnered up yeah. on the spot there. I'd rather they come in with a little bit of emotional baggage and maybe some issues around the bedroom, they're hoping to maybe, you know, can we move past this point or have a multiple orgasm or something. And then I have a little sex menu that I give to couples, and they get to pick, um, you know, one, two, or three sex acts that they want some help refining. (laughs) And I actually get in there and and give them um, tutoring, if you will, or guidance, or kind of a hands-on, you know, coaching while they're doing it. Yeah. How the hell does that work? I gotta tell you something. <laughs> uh, it is so exciting. 
exciting at the end of the workshop to have all these people flush with orgasms saying, thank you, Veronica. (laughs) 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 We couldn't have gotten there without you. (laughs) Now, you've got um, some ongoing workshops up there uh, in San Francisco. Yes. Yeah, One Chase is an awesome place. It's over at 1074 Folsom Street in San Francisco. Yeah. And there's just some amazing people there. Um, they're young, hip, and and um, really forward-thinking. Yeah. And the place is open to the public. It's got a little organic cafe with, you know, fabulous, inexpensive food. And you can actually get a um, just a regular massage there, you know, a therapeutic acupuncture Swedish, Shiatsu, whatever you're looking for. Yeah. Um, but it is a polyamorous community. They, there's about, I'm not sure how many there are, 30, 40 people in residence there. Wow. Who are in, in various different configurations of relationship with each other. And um, they practice their, you know, they walk their talk. They practice what they preach. Yeah. So they have lots of workshops, and then they bring in a lot of people like me do lectures and workshops there too and and uh, right now I've it looks like I'm going to be doing a couple workshops a month there and um, I'm very excited about it I'm next scheduled for October 6th and October 12th yeah and, and then I'll come back again I think it's November 9 and 10 wow but um, yeah I mean they they they, they podcast I'm, I'm going to be sending a newsletter out announcing uh, my podcast they've got some of my podcasts and um, they've got a, a glossy uh, magazine, uh, wow. a great website. <laughs> they've had some, some some notables there. I mean, you've heard of um, Mars, Men Are From Mars and uh, Women Are From Venus. John Gray is the author of that book. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, he's, uh, he, he spoke there recently. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Did you ever get a chance? Have you ever got a chance to meet that guy? If I ever do. <laughs> you know what I say about John Gray? I don't know why he's running around talking about what real men are like, because I have more testosterone than he does. So that, was, that was my next question. This guy is just, I don't know what his deal is. but I think he's insecure. I, I think he's so short on the masculine thing. And... And he's compensating by talking about how men need their cave and men need this. And I'm like, John, you don't don't be talking about what men need. You don't really know much about it. <laughs> and, you know, most of the real men that I know, guys who are very secure in their masculinity and have a nice balance between their masculine and their feminine side, yeah. um, they just don't need to be going around proving a point, you know? Yeah. They are what they are, and, and they're pretty comfortable exploring other options. But, you know, he just strikes me as being kind of insecure in that department. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. I bought his book. I read it. Um, <laughs> some good stuff. A lot of stuff. I just thought it was kind of like, yeah, you know, give people what they already have. Your mommy and daddy told you this about men and women, and guess what? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> God forbid we should introduce something new, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, give us some information on these uh, brand new DVDs you got coming out. That, uh, Ooh, I got a hot DVD. It's called Veronica's Erotic Diaries. Yes. 
and it, it's a collection of the stuff I've done over the last 10 years. Now, I, not everything I've done, because some of the stuff I don't have copyrights to. Yeah. But the stuff that I have copyrights to, stuff I produced myself. Um, so there's Real Women, Real Fantasies, which is a full-length X-rated video. Um, yeah. It's me and four other women masturbating, talking about our fantasies, and and everybody has a different orgasm on this. So this <laughs>
society standards of being sexy or or um, sexual. Because a lot of times we try to like make some people asexual, you know, yes. like oh you're too old, you're too ugly, or you're um, too sick to have sex. Yeah. So um, anyway, so we're trying to like bring that out, and it's it's amazing too because you also get to see the spiritual connection between me and this client. And, I mean, it's really self-evident when you actually look at the way we gaze into each other's eyes, which David Steinberg just has this gift for photographing people's souls. Yeah. So when I, I take uh, some of the, the less adult images, some of the less X-rated ones, into the colleges and universities when I talk there, and I, it's just so much fun to put that up on the wall and then watch all the mouths drop. Because <laughs> they've never seen anything like it. They've never seen um, that much passion and and um, and you know connection. And then to know that that's actually an act of prostitution that's been photographed. Yeah. It really puts a whole new spin on it for them. It's like wow, you know, we we thought prostitution was always degrading or demoralizing or. You know, or what kind of creeps go to see prostitutes anyway? <laughs> and, and they can just look at the picture, you know, because the picture's worth a thousand words. They can look at the picture and see that there's nothing but love going on there. Yeah. And um, it, it takes their breath away, and I like doing that. I like taking people's breath away in a good way. <laughs> well, there you go. So, um, what? I'll tell you, I would, I would love to be able to have. But but you said that Rolling Stone's trying to find her, so she's missing. I was thinking when, <laughs> when you when you mentioned the uh, um, the X-rated DVD is, that you did, I would love to be able to have all you guys on the show sometime and just have a phone conversation. We just chat back about back and forth about the DVD, but we wouldn't be oh, able to yeah. have everybody on because she's missing. Rolling Stone can't find her. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I I understand she's living in seclusion in San Francisco now. Yeah. So, now um, you should go to one of your workshops. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, she's such a big celebrity now. I, I don't even I don't even know if she'd return my phone call. <laughs> <laughs> just just think of me as remember when Madonna got famous and that photographer who took pictures of her with her hairy armpits. That's right. Book of Madonna news. That's right. I'm like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, hey. Of her, I know. That's right. <laughs> you look like one of the guys off uh, My Two Dads from back in the day. Uh, oh, on, yeah. was on CBS. Not the Paul yeah. Reiser part, the other guy. I just like, what is that guy doing? But, um, but yeah, that, that, that would be an interesting uh, show sometime just to see what, what, you know, the inner workings of everything that was going on during the, oh, yeah. during well, the filming. Never. That'd be great. If I could ever pull, uh, pull the crew together, I'd love to do that, too. Uh, you know, somebody that I have more access to right now is Cozy Fabian. I don't know if you um, saw that. I heard that name. Yep. I, I put it out in my last newsletter. I, we just had a workshop at One Taste in San Francisco called Conversations with Cozy. Yeah. And um, she is a, um, a sacred prostitute who's also a, a very amazing storyteller and academic. And she just has just these amazing stories about ancient sacred prostitution. But you know, it's kind of more for your history buffs. Yeah. Um. And um. And you 
actually we work very well together. We were interviewed for the Canadian show called Sex TV. And, yeah. Um, and did a segment for them. And actually they liked us so much at one taste, they're asking us back again at, in about two weeks. Wow. So I know she, I know she loves to do radio. So yeah. If you ever well, that might actually be that. That might not be a bad, uh, a bad subject for our uh, Freaky Friday series that we do once a month on uh, TalkShoe.com, where we basically yeah. it's just free form. We just have one or two guests on, and it just we just chat and see where it goes. Oh yeah, no, and she's got she's got a delightful British accent. You know how Americans love that. Yes. <laughs> I know when she says it, I always say it's so much better when she.
see what you can do on uh, getting a hold getting of Cody and seeing what we can do. Yes, <laughs> I'd like to. I would, let's let's do whatever we can do on here. That's, <laughs> that's great. Well, Veronica, I've, I've appreciated the interview once again, and uh, definitely keep us updated as always. And uh, we'll look to have you on. We'll have you back for sure. You're in our you're in our Anytime. list of of people. What was that? I missed that. Anytime, James. There you go. A, a great week, and uh, be sure. You know, I would just say as an antidote to this whole take Wednesday off to procreate. Yes. I'd like to say. For everybody, no matter what country you live in, let's take Wednesday off just to have multiple orgasms and create world peace. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, peace, not procreation. There you go. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm going to give you a countdown here real quick, and uh, I'll just have you cut that ID for me. Okay. Okay. Three, two, one. Thanks, Veronica. I appreciate it. Hey, this is Dutch. You're listening to the Jiggy Jaguars. So strip off those clothes, grab that bowl of jello, and let's get busy. JiggyJaguar.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.